Welcome to Art Conversations, and I am your host, Lisa Jane Irvine. As a practicing visual artist, I've had the opportunity to meet many interesting individuals along the way. Every path I've ventured down has provided me with a greater knowledge in the arts, as well as a vast array of experiences that have helped to shape my practice both in and out of the studio. I encourage you to grab a cup of tea or even a coffee and settle in as we begin my conversations with my guests who are working, practicing, exploring, even playing in the arts. Please help me welcome Jorn Schmidt to the podcast. Good evening. How are you? Very good. How are you? Good. I'm glad you could be here today. Maybe you could start off by telling us a little bit about what kind of shop you have and what type of work you do for anybody who hasn't seen your work before. Sure. Well, running like a silkscreen studio and well, mostly do my own designs. Well, a little bit of custom work too, but mostly my own designs. And it's located in Montreal in the Myland area. And it's a very artisanal affair. So So I was just wondering, how do you go from conception of an idea? Do you do it digitally? Do you do it by hand? How do you work? Depends on the design. Like uh, the idea usually comes, and then I usually do a few drawings, and sometimes it will take a few pictures. In the end, it all tends to come together or not. <laughs> Those are the unsuccessful designs that linger on for a while and, and disappear forever. You do silk screen. Can you describe what a silk screen is and for anybody who's never seen a silk screen or don't understand what that process involves? It's probably a little difficult to describe if you've never seen it. I mean, if you own like a t-shirt, a printed t-shirt, it's most likely been silkscreen. And that actually means that the design was transferred on a stencil. And you basically push ink through the opening of the stencil onto the garment and then it's cured and ready for sale. That's a perfect description. And so how many years have you been doing this, your own silkscreen business? Probably ever since I moved to Montreal, it's been 15 years now. How did you get introduced to Silkscreen yourself as an artist? One of those longest stories. It involved like a trip to Thailand or like Asia when I was super young and I brought back a container of all kind of nonsense and that I had actually more trouble than foreseen to sell. And among all these unsellable items were... I think about 800 t-shirts that I had bought. Like When I bought them, they looked okay to me. When I get them back in Germany, they didn't look so nice anymore. And someone suggested, hey, you can just print something else on top of these. And I said, oh, how do you do that? And he showed me in his homemade setup how to set up a couple of screens and we printed plain a layer of white ink on top of the ugly design and laid another ugly design on top <laughs> because I was really not familiar doing that. So yeah, this is how I learned. And when I moved to Montreal, it was like a difficult time waiting for immigration. And so knowing how to silkscreen was kind of something to fall back upon, you know, sell a few things. I think back then it was eBay and it wasn't a huge success, but that's how it started. I didn't know the story about the crate of stuff. So. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> we still have a few items flying around. Items you never use, but they kind of look so too nice to just ditch them, like from chopstick sets to wooden bases. 
So when I met you, you were at the one of the kind. Do you do shows like that all the time? Or is there just some specialty shows that you do? I used to do a lot more since I got my own shop and we have a website too. I don't really have the time and I'm not super into these shows because they take a lot of work, like a lot of energy and you're never sure if they're actually going to work. So I only do those where I know that is a certain response, like the one in Toronto. And there's an equivalent here in Montreal called the Salon Emitida. Those mm-hmm. are the two principal ones that I do. And can you describe some of the designs that you've had, like the show? Because I think it's really interesting if people knew what your work looked like. Probably easiest to go by the most successful by far ever is, of course, the raccoon in Toronto. I love the raccoon and- one. <laughs> Yes, and it's a raccoon on a trash can, and it has a very scenic feel, which it usually doesn't. How would you describe design? I don't know. It's raccoons and a trash can. Your creative process, like, do you keep a sketchbook, or are you wandering around with a notebook, just writing down, like, thoughts, or are you in the shop? Do you have, like, a corner where you scribble ideas down? I have many sketchbooks. They're mostly abused for drawing caricatures. If I think a new design, say, for example, for the, I made one that was also quite successful for the COVID. And it's like a cat that sits alone in front of a window. And, you know, it has this feeling like everybody was locked inside. And I was just looking at this cat. And then the idea kind of came to me. Yeah, this looks kind of cool. And I could do this in two colors. I guess like after a while, you see everything in terms of T-shirt and screen printing setups. And yeah, this is kind of what it occurred to me. But other times the raccoon was really like more concept. But yeah, a raccoon for Toronto, I got to have a raccoon. Is there an icon or an image for Montreal that you design or something that you think stands out for there? Of course, the Depender mm-hmm. That's probably the one I have kept for ages, like from the very beginning. Plus, there's what I call the triplex, the typical mm-hmm. Montreal design with its suicidal outside staircase in the winter. Yeah, those are the two that probably have a survived the longest. Like yeah. whatever is architectural striking in Montreal, as well as Toronto, usually. And you're originally from Germany. Do you go back there? I know the place already pretty well, so I'm not need. Yeah, now that everything seems to be opening again, uh, I used to go to the South a lot, like South America. Even tried to set up the same shop idea in Mexico for a while. I had designs of Mexico City that sold actually pretty well. You need more ambition and then you should need the money. So if you were to encourage a young artist who's thinking about starting their own t-shirt design company, what kind of advice would you give them? Well, well, doing silk screening is probably the best way to do it. It's fairly low budget setup if you start it. You can get, if you do only one color prints as I did, you can do like a kitchen setup basically. And you can expose screens easily with like whatever you find at Home Depot, even in the sun. And my bathtub was rather not a pretty sight for a long time because that's why I used to wash the screens. And the landlord surely wasn't very happy when he saw that. <laughs> I yeah. could imagine. <laughs> yeah. I even had a high pressure hose in there. But yeah, this screen printing, it looks a little scary at the beginning, but now with YouTube, I think you can easily learn the basics. You do mural work as well? Well, I used to, yeah. Well, we did some graffiti kind of work, rather large production for the time. Nowadays, it would be small fry. But uh, yeah, I did that for a couple of years. And your original background is in philosophy, is that correct? Oh, yeah, that's correct. (laughs) And does that influence any of your work or your designs? 
Oh, this is actually how I started. I mean, all those ugly t-shirts brought back from Asia. The first design actually printed on it when it was all a blank canvas again. It was a picture of the philosopher Ludwig Wittgenstein. Oh, he was just like the kind of the coolest of the bunch. Like he had like, he is very photogenic as well. Well, if you look at the design, you probably understand. You're also working on a second shop. So you're setting up a second location. Is that correct? The shop is going to be like a little bit bigger because the old shop, like every square inch was really accounted for because to fit in the machines and everything. Like, yeah, once you reach a certain level at screen printing, you need a conveyor belt dryer. You need like a multicolor press and all these kind of things. So they tend to take up a bit more space than your kitchen can provide. So I moved the shop to like a larger, less popular part of town. Do you do workshops for people who want to learn about silk screening and how to design? It's one of the ideas, actually, why I opened a new location. Because we'll actually be able to do that. And I got a second press, so can show people at the same time. That's one of the ideas. Yes, I would like to do that. Do you currently work alone in your shop? Do you have an assistant? Oh, yeah, we are two. So what's some of the best advice that you've been given as a creative person and what advice would you give a young artist? I think one thing that is for sure, don't ever believe anybody who tells you you can do anything quickly and like with any tricks. So no, it's all like very hard work and long hours and greatest effort is probably like to disguise like how much work you put into it. What's a typical day for you like in the studio? I try to make plans what there has to be done for the day, unless it's something very pressing and I, there's no chance I'm ever going to forget it. Most likely, I will not be able to follow any list that I made because I forgot it at home. But I usually go through, I check the stocks and then I'll, you know, see what needs some printing and yeah, we take it from there. I look at the website orders. Is that primarily how you get your business is through your website? No, it's walk-in traffic, most likely. I was just thinking as we were talking about your work, if you could just choose one of your pieces that you would leave behind, almost like a legacy piece, what design would that be and why? I would probably pick one of the philosophers because I don't think that has really ever really been done. It's very like, obscure stuff. I'll pick Frege. Uh, it's probably one of those very obscure philosophers at the beginning of like when logic was formalized and he was the one that was chosen because it was too elaborate and too complex. And mm -hmm. so I just printed his system on a shirt and it says, that's why. And it basically, he was the only one who really understood his system. So that's why it would only make sense to him. Like you see this is kind of humor, the direction of the humor that it takes. Yeah. I think they're very unusual designs. And I have like uh, usually a box outside the shop and where I put like designs that nobody bought online or at the shop itself. So they discounted and you know, people take them on. They don't care who's really on the shirt. Most of the time they ask me like, oh, who is this? Or what sense does this make? Or just like some of the puzzle because you rarely see stuff on a t-shirt that is not immediately like clear what it's supposed to mean. If somebody wanted to get in touch with you, do they just go through your website for getting commissioned pieces? Most likely, yes. A lot of people pass by the shop and... A common like misunderstanding of screen printing is like that people think, oh, I can print a picture of my dog on the shirt and can you do that in five minutes? And 
I have to turn on so many people because screen printing is a very like elaborate process. You know, colors need to be separated, so I cannot do like one-offs really. So most people are disappointed. If they're interested in like a design for their company or something, I usually refer them online to so I can take a look at the design and tell them what it's most likely going to be. And how long would a design take from conception through to actual print? Sometimes that only takes an afternoon. Other designs I had in the making for months and it never looked right. It's really impossible to say. When I get commission works, that tends to be really easier. Unless, uh, I guess it's not me who actually decides. So I submit a couple of things and people say, oh, yes, that's good. Or, oh, no. But that tends to be easier. When it's myself, I have to think, is this going to sell to? Sometimes I like it, but then I think, oh, my God, this color. I'm not sure they're ever going to sell this. And that's how a lot of them get ditched, too. Because I like them, but I can't really see them selling and never really print them. That makes sense. Especially since it's a business, you want to make sure everything's going to be marketable and sell. As we wrap up, I was thinking if you were to have a dinner party, you were invited to one and you were to sit beside one artist, past or present, is there somebody that you would choose to be seated beside and why? I wouldn't know what to discuss with that person. Maybe I should say, is there a philosopher then that you would want to have at the dinner party? Well, in terms of, I think, art and philosophy, maybe I would pick John Raskin. I kind of like his high-flying style. He's not really an artist. Like, he's more like an art critic or like a philosopher of art, like in Victorian times. And uh, very elaborately on a huge amount of subjects. So, uh, yeah, him, he would be interesting to see how this person would really be in person. And I, and I would pick Nietzsche. Well, thank you so much, uh, Jorn, for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Art Conversations with Lisa Jane Irvine. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and hit the like button. And don't forget to check out my website, Facebook, and Instagram accounts. Thank you for listening. See you next time.